So I first want to disclose to you, some of you may have seen me out in my car this morning before service, rapidly typing up. Uh, Marnie asked me to help out today, a couple weeks ago, and neither one of us knew that I'd end up with the stomach flu the week before. So while I've been thinking about this, I was not able to actually start typing as soon as I had hoped to. So I just want to apologize in advance for any disconnect there may be in some of my thought processes here. But we're going to make it through. All right. Divisions are as old as humanity. Genesis talks of the fruit of the tree in the Garden of Eden as holding the knowledge of good and evil. And with the first bite, humanity knew the, knew the division, and it's been taught often that that's the division between humanity and God. And it seems to be innate in humans to categorize everything, most often in a binary sort of way. What do I mean? We have good and evil. We have black or white, male, female, boy, girl, pink or blue, Christian and Gentile during Paul's time or Christian and pagan in later times. This isn't just a Christian thing either. There's Muslims or infidels for many in the Islamic faith. Across the world, there's winners and losers. There's true and false. But in all of these, there's a great swath of what is real and what exists that gets missed. We create unintentional boundaries that marginalize and exclude. So what kind of divisions are we talking about? Well, in the church, oftentimes divisions come about between founding members and newcomers, members and visitors. Baptized or not? What age were you baptized? Infant or older? Are you born again, saved, redeemed, or something different? In our communities, we end up divided between affluent and poor, safe and unsafe neighborhoods, racial divides and economic divides. In our country, there's a thick line drawn currently between Democrat and Republican, liberal and conservative. And divisions in the world, it seems as though either you're first world or third world. I can't even tell you a definition of what a second world might actually be. Democratic or dictatorship government. Everything seems divided. I want to offer a disclaimer here. While there will be political topics given, I implore you to wait till the end to see where I'm going. I'm not trying to stand on a side or the other, and that's the whole point. So bear with me as we get there. Please keep an open mind. I say that because I know how divided politics are right now. And I want you to stay with me. So every day, everything seems to be more and more divided. It's 2020 and people have failed, or I'm sorry, it's 2020 and people have talked about making this year a vision for the future. Perfect vision is, of course, 2020. 
a time of looking back on our past, both individually and throughout humanity, to learn from mistakes and move forward. And this is a sentiment that I've really embraced for myself this year. I want to reflect on what history can teach us about today. We'll start with scripture. Written 2,000 years ago. And it shows us an example of divisions in the time of Paul. But a division, nonetheless, that we can relate to 2,000 years later. And this particular section is describing internal arguments about who each belongs to. Does that sound familiar? Well, are you a disciple or a Methodist? Are you Baptist or Lutheran? Catholic or Protestant? Who baptized who? And at what age? Because that's an important one, too. Other divisions that Paul writes about throughout the epistles include gender division. Are women really equal to men in the church? Some churches are still debating that today. Racial divisions. Paul writes about, are Jews and Gentiles equal? Well, they still say that 11 o'clock is the most racially divided hour of the week in America. He writes about faith divisions. Are baptized really equal to unbaptized? What about circumcised and uncircumcised? Are they really equal to each other? Paul approaches it with a lecture to remind the people he was not named an apostle because of baptism, but because of the message of Christ. He reminds them that it doesn't matter who baptized them because we're now all one in Christ. Now, on the surface, this sounds like an easy thing to understand and accept. We were once divided, but now we're all united. But what does humanity go and do? What does our innate instinct go to do? Let's create more divisions. Great, we're all one in Christ. And what that line has been used in history to do is create further divisions and silence people on the margins. This has been very evident in recent times, meaning the last 50 to 100 years, with LGBTQ folks, creating the don't ask, don't tell mindset. We're all one in Christ, and that includes you if you don't make us uncomfortable. Don't act or do or speak in a way that challenges our status quo. You're welcome, and you're part of the body of Christ, but let's just be quiet about everything else. If you act up, you're going to be out, but you're still part of the body of Christ. Methodist Church today still has the motto, open hearts, open doors, open minds. And they're about to enter the biggest division that they've ever experienced in the history of their denomination. This was a personal thing for me, too. Came out in the 90s, and I remember my mom, as this process was beginning, saying, you know, it's fine if you're gay, but be polite about it. Don't throw it in people's faces. To this day, I don't completely understand what she meant. She's tried to explain it to me. Basically, don't flaunt it. Don't make everything in your life about that. It's okay, but don't take your closet door off yet. That's what I heard. 
and it was the 90s. That's when Don't Ask, Don't Tell actually became the political correct line to follow. But I also remember an undergraduate, a professor, asking the question, how many times can the body of Christ be divided and still retain the essence of the body of Christ? Essentially, that's exactly what Paul was asking in this scripture. Has the body of Christ been divided into Apollos and Pauls and Christs? Or is it one body still? My professor asked the question 2,000 years later when there's a plethora of denominations and sects and different organizations and spiritual but not religious or conservative and liberal. It's mind-boggling if you actually were to map out the family tree of the Christian church. Yeah, it starts with the first schism when the East and the West split. The East has done pretty good. They've held themselves together. But the West, just look up churches in Pueblo and count how many pop up. How many times can the body of Christ be divided and still have the essence of Christ? What can history teach us about divisions and how to move into the future? Let's look at Aristotle. Aristotle was the student of Plato, and Plato was the student of Socrates. Socrates is considered the founding father of philosophy, really. And Aristotle lived about 300 years before Jesus. Socrates had introduced the concept of virtues, and Plato and Aristotle both advanced the study and clarified their beliefs around them. Through them, the field of virtue ethics was born. Socrates, a couple, about a hundred and so years before Aristotle, argued that virtue is knowledge, suggesting that really there was only one virtue. By the time Aristotle came around, he had defined anywhere from 11 to 18 different virtues. And he argued that each virtue enabled a person to perform their human function well. These virtues allow you to be human and to do human. I want to share some of those virtues with you. The 11 that have been agreed upon are courage in the face of fear, temperance in the face of pleasure and pain, liberality with wealth and possessions, magnificence with great wealth and possessions, magnanimity with great honors, Proper ambition with normal honors. Truthfulness with self-expression. Wittiness in conversation. Friendliness in social conduct. Modesty in the face of shame and shamelessness. Righteous indignation in the face of injury. In all the virtues, Aristotle taught that there were three states of that virtue. Excess, mean, and deficiency. Anything outside of the mean caused issues and limited humans to do human right. We've heard the term adulting, right? This is humaning. How do we human? In the mean, Aristotle argued, because an excess 
or a deficiency left us longing. For example, he argued that an excess of courage leads to rashness, while a deficiency in courage leads to cowardice. He taught that example with the image of a soldier. A soldier who has too much courage becomes rash and runs into battle before the rest of the troop is ready and risks his life. Whereas without enough courage, the soldier runs the opposite way with cowardice. He also taught that shame, which seems like an odd name for a virtue, should exist in the mean of modesty. Because an excess would lead to shyness, and a deficiency would lead to shamelessness. In all things Aristotle taught, moderation is key. To have too much or too little of a virtue leads us all to fall out of alignment with ourselves and with morality. I believe that one of the greatest issues facing humanity today is a battle that's been created between the individual and the greater body of humanity. Individuality gives power for people to come to understand who they are and have self-expression, to be unique, express uniqueness. And it's wonderful. Without this movement of individuality, we wouldn't have much of the art that we have today. We wouldn't have much of the music or dance that we have, entertainment, sports, the ability to do as good as one can do in what they are good at. We wouldn't have this new and blossoming understanding of gender variance, of sexual variance, of coming to understand that binaries are human constructs and we're limiting ourselves and our understanding of ourselves and the rest of humanity and thus the creation that God has created for us. But can you have too much of a good thing? Aristotle thought you could. And in individuality, with that has come this silent, slow disregard for the greater good, for the whole, for the mass. What's good for me is good for me and to hell with the rest of you. How many have a family member that says that sometimes? Pretty sure we could all raise our hands, probably both of them. I've got two brothers like that. Individuality is great, but it has its limits. When we forget that we are part of the body of Christ, then we get separated and our divisions get deeper and wider. And I think, honestly, that's where we found ourselves in religion, in churches, in our communities, in our country, in politics, in every aspect of what it means to be alive today. We have created our little own moats around ourselves, and we don't always know how to operate a drawbridge to the neighbor next door. The pendulum has swung too far, I think. The good of the whole is being forgotten 
We see this in every major political argument. The arguments in gun rights come down to individual rights versus the common good. Immunizations. Individual rights to choose to immunize children or the good of the whole in herd immunity. Religious freedom. Do we have the freedom to believe what we believe and to act on that even in the public sector? Or is there a common decency that should be used to control a little bit of that? There's a case in Texas right now that some of you may have seen of a young man who's three months from graduating high school and suddenly is told he can't even attend school unless he cuts his hair. Hair! He's worn it in the same style that fit the parameters up until December when they changed the rules on him. He's been there three and a half years and now they say he can't graduate because of his hair. How many times can we divide the body of Christ and still have the essence of Christ? I argue every division still has the essence of Christ in it. Every single division, every single moat, every single line drawn in the sand still has the essence of Christ. But what happens is that essence dims. It's no longer as bright as it once was. It's no longer clear to see what it is that we're called to. It's no longer clear to see how one united body would look. One of the biggest arguments for atheists to believers is, what does God look like? If you can't tell me what God looks like and I can't tangibly see or touch, I can't believe. Here's my answer. If you could take a photo of every person on this planet and mod podge them together into a mosaic, you would begin to see the outline of God's face because it takes every single one of us, regardless of faith, regardless of beliefs, regardless of political orientation, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity, regardless of where we lived, where we were born, the color of our skin, none of that matters. Humans can continue to divide, and we will. History has shown us that we will continue to divide. Even when we come together, we'll divide again. But what's important is that we remember within ourselves and we act each day in that moderation. It is wonderful to be unique and to be ourselves. If you are great at something, go be great at it. I have an 85-year-old aunt who still plays tennis every day. More power to her. I am not going. My calling is here in sending a word, hopefully inspiring somebody. The body of Christ will be divided a thousand, hundred thousand, million more times. 
but let's start putting pieces back together. Let's start putting those pieces back together so the light shines a little bit brighter. Let's learn to put our drawbridges across our moats. Boundaries are great, they're important. Our moats are important for our well-being, but so are the drawbridges. We need those drawbridges so that the neighbors can come over, so that we can reach across the aisle, whatever that proverbial aisle is, so we can take our neighbor's hand, even if we don't know their name, and say, your light shines brighter when mine is next to it. The body of Christ can be divided, and it will, and that's okay, as long as we remember to put it back together. Amen.